I think that only focusing on a narrative that there's two sides really, really misses the point. And I think that probably the reality that there are so many more people who are in the middle or who have mixed affiliations or mixed ideas that I don't think we're as divided as often our depictions in, in media present. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. The issue of resettling refugees has been contentious in Rutland, Vermont. Five years ago, then-Rutland Alderman David Hilaire fiercely opposed the settlement of 100 Syrian refugees in the city, declaring that the program should be, quote, slowed down if not stopped, closed quote. His opposition to resettling refugees was a central issue in his campaign against Mayor Chris Louris. Allaire soundly defeated Louris in March 2017 in a vote that was widely viewed as a referendum on refugee resettlement. Last week, something remarkable happened at a meeting of the Rutland Board of Aldermen. Now Mayor David Allaire stood up to speak to the issue of a plan to resettle Afghan refugees in Rutland. Allaire declared, quote, I want to make clear to everyone that I am supportive of this, close quote. Governor Phil Scott has also expressed support for bringing refugees to Vermont. A new documentary film about Rutland and the debate over refugees will soon be airing nationally on PBS. For the Love of Rutland is a film by award-winning documentary filmmaker Jennifer Maitarina Taylor, who grew up in Rutland and is now an associate professor at the University of California at Santa Cruz. The film follows a Rutland woman who is struggling with poverty and addiction, as well as former Mayor Chris Louris during the bitter debate over refugees in 2016. I began by asking Taylor about her connection to Rutland and why she decided to make a film about it. My family's from Los Angeles originally, and on my dad's side, we've been in Southern California for many generations, both Southern California and Northern Mexico. But in the 70s, my parents, like many uh, people who became known as Flatlanders, decided to move us from California to Rutland. And so I was in elementary school uh, when we arrived in the middle of winter in Rutland, Vermont. Um, and this was, to me, a very new experience to see snow and then to spend most of my uh, elementary and high school years in and around the Rutland area. Um, so I always was uh, interested in making a film um, in this place that my parents decided to uh, adopt as their new home. So what were the years that you lived in the Rutland area? Let's see, we moved there in the early 70s, and I lived there uh, for about 10 years until I graduated from high school and eventually made my way back to California, um, where I've lived ever since. Um, and we always went back and forth to Los Angeles uh, when I was growing up in, in Rutland and then in Clarendon, just outside Rutland. Um, but my mom and dad decided that this would really become their, the community that they would commit to. Um, and so that, you know, has made for me a kind of unbreakable bond um, with, with the town and with the area. And did your parents, when you say they were part of the Back to the Land movement, uh, say a little more about that? Well, I will say that it was, um, you know, done very mildly, I think, compared to some other folks who really went 100% went for it. So we first moved to Rutland um, and lived, um, you know, just in the town in a way that wasn't 
terribly different from where we lived in Los Angeles, i.e. a house on a street corner with pavement that I could ride my skateboard on. Um, but a few years uh, into living in Vermont, they bought uh, land out in Clarendon and built um, you know, a house that was a passive solar house. Uh, and, um, you know, we had sheep and uh, I think a short-lived experiment with a rooster that didn't go that well. Um, you know, so we were a little bit the semi-incompetent um, outsiders trying to do some some farm things, not, not entirely well, um, mm. but, uh, you know, kind of a, a, great, a great way to grow up um, that was certainly different from what we would have experienced had we not left Los Angeles. Right. Were you, were they part of a commune? No, no, no. We were much more, I would say, middle of the road than that. Uh, my dad was a, an attorney for many, many years. Uh, my mom is a teacher. Um, so we, we never committed 100% to, the, to that, um, you know, back to the land lifestyle, the way some folks we knew um, had done, uh, maybe more, more successfully than we did. So it was, you know, sort of back to the land light perhaps. But we did have sheep. And occasionally, in winters, they would uh, a lamb would be born too soon, and we'd have to bring it into the house. Okay. And your parents are no longer in Vermont, is that right? Well, my father passed away about seven years ago. And, and that actually was the, the moment that crystallized for me that I should make a film in Rutland after he had passed away. Um, my mother still lives in the farmhouse, in the farm town where we built the house. My sister had moved to New York City for a long time and moved back to Vermont about maybe 10 years ago. And I also have a brother up around where you are, up in Stowe, and another brother in New York. So I'm, I'm of the siblings, I'm the only one who came back to California. So what are your memories of uh, Rutland in the <laughs> 70s? What was it like then? Well, you know, I think I think some of the memories I have are what drove me to make this particular film. Um, I mean, living there in the 70s, I think, you know, was probably similar to how kids were growing up at that time in a lot of places. If you were in a small town or suburbia or, you know, a small city, um, you know, which is we pretty much just rode our bikes everywhere and it felt very safe. Um, it felt that there was, uh, it, the community was very mixed. The neighborhood that we had moved to uh, class-wise was very mixed. The publisher of the uh, newspaper lived across the street from us and then across the street the other way uh, lived a plumber and his family so it felt very mixed and in a way I'd never experienced certainly in Los Angeles which was much more stratified um, mm. in terms of income but the thing that hit me really hard um, as, a, as a kid having just moved to, to Rutland was um, some people who were extremely precarious and extremely poor um, how they were being treated. And there was a kid in my second grade classroom. So we had just moved there and it was in second grade. And this kid got held back um, at the end of the school year. And um, I just remember we were all opening our report cards and this kid opened his, his report card and it looked like he'd been hit in the face and he started crying. Mm. And this was a kid who lived in a family that I had perceived was really looked down on. <clears throat> by the by the school and by the other kids and even to a certain extent by some of the, the school staff. Like it was just obvious that this was one of those kids who's so poor that in a way he was, I, I felt being marginalized. I mean, I was t a tiny kid at the time, but I, it just hit me so hard, like how this kid 
in, in, in second grade was going to be held back. Everybody else was going to go on. And I just remember having this really distinct feeling of, wow, um, this, this, this boy's life just got really altered in a mm-hmm. way that is probably going to be permanent. I, I, I can't describe that exactly, but, but that stayed with me forever. And so as I, you know, grew up, moved away, um, you know, developed a, a filmmaking career, I thought a lot about that little boy and what is it like to be in a town that feels safe, that feels cohesive and full of community and yet still live with so much precarity and, um, you know, economic uncertainty that that you somehow become marginalized even in a town this small. And that, that stayed with me forever. So when I decided to make For the Love of Rutland, of course, the catalyst for the film is the, you know, the Syrian refugee resettlement program that became quite controversial back in 2016, 2017. But, but I, in a certain sense, that was just a catalyst to tell a story about the larger town dynamics. Um, and the, the wonderful, wonderful woman, Stacey Griffin, who is the main protagonist in the film, um, you know, co- comes out of that precarity that I remember from, from elementary school having affected my schoolmate. Tell us about Stacy uh, and how you found her. Well, I was very early on doing um, some research filming. So in 2016, I my niece um, sent me an article saying the mayor of, of Rutland at the time, Chris Loris, was going to embark on this refugee resettlement program. And that occurred to me, okay, that's the catalyst to tell the story about the town. The opioid epidemic obviously has hit Vermont hard, it hit Rutland very hard. And a few years before that, there'd been a lot of press um, often touting Rutland as the epicenter of the opioid epidemic. And what I saw was that that was really, really, really offending and hurting people. And that that was not the right catalyst to tell a story about this town that, you know, I had known very well as a child. Um, so I, I wasn't making, wasn't planning to make a film. But when I heard about Chris inviting Syrian refugees to town, that occurred to me, okay, that's the catalyst that we could use to tell a story about all these different dynamics that shape the town. And so I knew that as I began filming with people who were both refugee resettlement proponents and opponents, that that probably wasn't going to really be the story, that I wanted to find somebody who hadn't taken a side yet and maybe mm. hadn't been heard or listened to. And so it occurred to me that's the opportunity to find someone whose life may also embody some of these other issues, such as the, you know, the precarity of living at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder. So I started hanging out in the neighborhood of of Rutland known as the Northwest, which had become a little bit notorious over the previous years through all of the opioid reporting. And um, the town, uh, the city of Rutland had built a, a really nice new little park that figures quite prominently in the film. And I was filming a research interview in the park when Stacy uh, came over to the park and started cleaning off the playground equipment. And we just struck up a conversation because it seemed to me so interesting that here was this new park and here's a woman who lives in the neighborhood who already feels a sense of community responsibility that she's coming out with a spray bottle and uh, Windex and cleaning off all the equipment um, to prepare for the kids who are coming out to play. And she just struck me as someone who's really smart, really curious, um, really alive uh, in all her senses. Um, and so we just started chatting. And um, she said she wasn't sure how she felt about refugee resettlement, but she was open. 
Hmm. And that's, you know, you know, as a reporter, as a journalist, a storyteller, if you meet somebody who says, I don't know, but I'm open to learning, that's absolutely a wonderful starting place uh, to, to have someone go take you on that journey. Jennifer, uh, Stacy is um, dealing with a lot of demons. She's mm-hmm. dealing with substance abuse and opioid addiction and recovery from that. Um, you, you know, you show her um, at many points in the movie taking Suboxone. Um, and the level of intimacy in the film is pretty remarkable. You know, you're in her home. You're butting into her teenage kids, her son's <laughs> room. How did you get that level of trust from her that she would give you that kind of access? Because it's not always flattering, uh, as it wouldn't be for any of us to have a filmmaker just given free access at any time of day to come and go. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. I mean, to, to wit, um, I asked you this morning, can we make sure that this is audio only because I look like such a mess that I just woke up. So I totally agree. It's, it's not always flattering to have someone filming in your in your home. It's a huge commitment. Um, with Stacy, you know, we, we spent about a year building a relationship. Um, I was I was primarily the person operating camera and sound equipment while we were filming um, in a departure from my usual approach, but I just wanted to keep things very stripped down and intimate. Uh, Jim Sabatasso, who's a, a local um, journalist in Rutland and works for the Herald, um, uh, also joined the project as a co-producer. So he would have a camera and often would be operating camera if I wasn't there. Um, and occasionally I would have a crew person join us from from uh, California. So um, a friend of mine named Mustafa Davis, with whom I work very closely, uh, came also to work with us for a week. And that was a really catalytic week. It was about a year into filming. Stacy and I had filmed a little bit. She wasn't yet comfortable with us coming inside. I think she wanted to gauge, were we trustworthy people? Were mm. we going to judge her? Um, and we spent a week uh, all together, me, Jim, and, and Mustafa, hanging out in that same park with Stacy and her extended family, and mostly just talked. Uh, and I think just um, we kind of opened ourselves up. She had a lot of questions for us about who we were, about where we'd come from. Uh, her neighbors did too. And I, th- I think there was something about the mutual exchange that, that laid a, a foundation of trust. And at that point, she invited me into the house. But I always made sure... Um, that what we filmed were things that um, we agreed we would do. Um, Stacy, I think she's so brilliant. Um, she she realized the importance of this film being really honest. Mm. And you know, she says at one point in the film, we're making a documentary about Rutland, the good, the bad, the indifferent. And she knew for herself that she was going to have to be really honest for the film to have. An impact. So, for example, when we do film her demonstrating how she takes Suboxone, that was her decision. She said, I want people to see this. This is the reality of what we live with. Um, the, so we the, took her lead a lot. The other uh, main character, although probably a supporting actor, is Mayor Chris Loris. And um, he also gives you a lot of access. I mm-hmm. mean, clearly he's... Uh, lets down his guard with you and he's swearing and he's, you know, really letting you know uh, what it's like to be the mayor at a time of huge upheaval 
and huge opposition to him personally. And politics is personal in a smaller place like Rutland. Um, talk about Chris Loris and yeah. what you saw there. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, Chris, I think, originally agreed to work with me um, because, you know, my nephew plays hockey with his son, you know, my mom and his mother-in-law are good friends. I mean, there was a little bit of a backstory that, that we were known to each other. He didn't know me personally, but he knew he knew the network I was from. And I think that perhaps made him feel that we were, you know, going to have better accountability than if we were just parachuting in entirely from outside, but also uh, Jim Sabatasso, the, the, the reporter who I mentioned, um, knew Chris very well. And, and, and reporting on Rutland politics is part of Jim's beat. So a lot of the scenes in the film where Chris is that unguarded are, are with Jim, actually. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I think we we I think we had less of a sort of explicit contract with Chris that that, hey, everything we want this to be really unvarnished. I mean, Stacy and, and Jim and I talked about it a lot. I think Chris just understood that that's what we had to do, is that if we were going to tell the story, we had to be as honest as we could and show the people behind the decisions. Um, and, you know, he, he, as you said, he was in the midst of great turmoil. He put his neck out pretty far uh, on this program um, and I think really stuck to his principles. And part of, you know, what we depicted was what's the price of doing that. And the price for him, of course, was his political career. Um, he was, uh, his career was ended um, in dramatic fashion. Uh, opponents rose up. Uh, Dave Allaire, um, uh, an alderman, uh, ran against him and defeated him handily, I think, two to one uh, or something of that. Mm -hmm. Chris Loris references um, the margin of victory. It's decisive and humiliating. Um, how do you, what, what impact do you think that had on him as you watched him go through that? Well, I mean, I will say that I, I, I do not know him nearly as well as I, I feel like I've gotten to know Stacy. Um, but I think it's obvious that this was very painful to him. Um, and there's a, a moment that I filmed where, you know, he talked about what it felt like walking down the street and thinking who didn't vote for him. Um, and I think, you know, the pain in his voice and face were, was pretty um, evident. I, I have to say one thing, David, um, there are folks in, in the town who dispute that it was refugee resettlement that was the deciding issue, that there was another issue going on with a, I believe it was the um, union contract with the fire department. Um, so there's some other stuff that was happening in the town that some people think was really the the crux of the matter i can't say for sure um but just as I, I know some people have sort of disputed the the narrative that it was refugee resettlement i mean the the film focuses on resettlement so that was where we we put our emphasis but but nonetheless i think it was you know it was very painful for him what do you think it says about the community that you grew up with how sharply it divided around the issue of welcoming refugees to the community? Well, I mean, this is the thing that I that I was really trying to get at with the film, which is, um, you know, you all you have to do is open any newspaper, Twitter, anything and see that, you know, the United States and it seems increasingly the world is really split between, you know, two sharply opposing halves. Um, and we seem to be at this point mired in arguments about everything. 
Um, but I think that only focusing on a narrative that there's two sides really, really misses the point. And I think that probably the reality that there are so many more people who are in the middle or who have mixed affiliations or mixed ideas that I don't think we're as divided as often our depictions in, in media present. And there's one place in particular that I think really um, stuck in my craw, and it's why I wanted to make the film largely from Stacy's perspective. And that is the assumption that people in both the refugee proponent and opponent camps had about folks like Stacy, assuming that maybe her opinion didn't even matter. But if it did matter, she probably would be reflexively against change and resettlement. And as you see in the film, that's not really fair. Um, I think we t we've tended to make a kind of very bifurcated um, depiction of where we are um, politically that doesn't allow for folks, um, especially in, in um, economically precarious circumstances, it doesn't allow, f it's a framework that doesn't allow for allyship. And I think that's very destructive. So talk about how Stacy evolved on the refugee issue. Well, I mean, I think Stacy evolved on the refugee issue. I, I I know to a certain extent the fact that we were filming with her probably had some some influence on that. But but what's more important is as we were beginning to film with with Stacy, she was also beginning to work with some nonprofits and uh, with Project Vision, which is the opioid response uh, collective in Rutland. And I think she started to really um, have some room to to prove herself as a community leader and to grow. And the more that she did um, this work, you know, she started working with a grant supported project to do a youth employment initiative in the Northwest neighborhood. Um, I think she started to see her own potential and her own growth, and also to see um, what the forces are that keep her um, precarious. And somewhere along the line, she started to, I see, see connections between her own situation and that of uh, folks who were fleeing war. Um, she, she, I don't believe, made a, a an equivalent, um, you know, argument in her head. But, you know, there's a point that we filmed in the, in the documentary where she said, you know, this is folks fleeing war and chaos and death. There's, there's actually something that we have in common. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just her her fundamental human decency that started to see, you know, parallels or connections um, between her own life and that of the folks who were coming out of you know terrible circumstances. She also had a chance to meet a family and and begin to uh, forge a friendship with them. Um, but I, I I think there's so many more Stacys in the world that we um, should recognize and. Um, just not assume that if somebody's really poor that they're going to be hostile to change or hostile to helping others. I think that's a really horrible misservice. And I, I do feel that on both sides of the political argument, we've sort of bought into that stereotype too much. And I think it's destructive. You've done a number of films. One is the childhood story of a Mexican maid, uh, Paulina, and the other, New Muslim Cool, about a rapper and drug dealer who decides to come clean and convert to Islam. Where does For the Love of Rutland fit into the arc of your interests and work? 
Well, I'm always, and I think this is from growing up in Rutland, is I'm always, I've always been really fascinated by how networks of people um, affect each other and how we can um, inhabit common ground. You know, what is it like to live in a small community where our actions affect each other? So a lot, every film I make seems to uh, focus in some part on, on community, right? On how people build community around themselves. And I'm also super interested in what is it like to be just a quote unquote regular person facing extraordinary circumstances um, and how do we find a kind of grace within ourselves? Um, how do we respond to crisis? Um, and how do those of us who maybe are considered other, you know, for example, a Puerto Rican American Muslim hip hop star isn't exactly somebody that you think maybe you have a lot in common with, but actually once we start digging down, we do. Um, and so I think a lot of my work has been about that is trying to, you know, quote unquote, de-other the other and recognize that we all have much more capacity in us maybe than we're given credit for. And could we just, and, and I don't mean to sound Pollyanna, I don't mean to sound like, oh, fake kumbaya, um, I know it sounds like that, but I really believe that, that we all have more capacity um, to grow and do good um, than sometimes we allow each other. Or well, ourselves. Jennifer, my Tarina Taylor, I wanna thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. Jennifer Maitarina Taylor is an award-winning documentary filmmaker. Her new film, For the Love of Rutland, will be airing later this year on PBS. That does it for this Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all programs at vtdigger.org slash vermontconversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.